This is episode 150 of IDRA Class Notes. What we're losing is potential. These are students that have a lot of potential to give our communities and our nation. And if they drop out, we've lost that resource Mm -hmm. that can really be a big help. Absolutely. These students actually come in with experiences and with another language. The bilingual brain is shown to work differently and actually provide other ways of thinking. And we need creative ways of thinking as we move forward as a nation. want to say hello to everyone, all of our listeners. Welcome you once again to our IDRA Class Note podcast. This is Bradley Scott, and it sure is good to have you with us again. Uh, I'm going to be uh, talking with a lot of enthusiasm with our guests and uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Kristen Grayson, who is a senior education associate here at the Intercultural Development Research Association. Let me say hello to you, Kristen. Hello, Dr. Scott. And how are you doing today? It's great to be here today, and I'm excited to talk about this topic. And this topic is really one that I think is very, very timely. Uh, We are talking about English language learners, or English learners, and their civil rights in public schools, and particularly because we have a new set of guidance that was issued January 7th of this year, reaffirming the importance of protecting the rights, the civil rights, of English learners under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, certainly to coincide with the important Supreme Court decision, Lau versus Nichols, that was uh, handed down in the early 1970s, and with the Equal Educational Opportunities Act that was also issued reminding uh, the nation and in our public schools that we had to ensure access and opportunity for uh, learners whose first language was not English. Importantly, in this new guidance are directions to ensure that the parents of these students are also highly integrated into the educational experiences of their children in schools. And so it means the schools have to do things in a different way to ensure that parents have access to the information they need to make good decisions about their children's uh, schooling. And so I wanted to talk to Kristen about things she's experiencing on the ground that are reflective of the law or that speaks to the gap between where people actually are and the law that we are being reminded of. So Kristen, uh, just let me start off with a, a very first question to you. Overall, what is your sense about what the law, this new guidance is saying to educators and to folks who run public schools in our region and across the nation? Well, first of all, I think it's a very good reminder to all people, especially educators, that we're talking about the civil rights of English learners. It's not just because we want to give them a good program, but because we're protecting their civil rights and they are as entitled to a a free and good public education as well as any other student. And what's exciting about this guidance is it's, it's very detailed. It covers many of the areas that are of concern or that districts and administrators can develop and see how their program is modeled and see the areas that they need to improve on and what they can do. 
Now, Bradley, you talked about communication with parents, and it's very exciting at this time of the virtual world that really even the languages that many of us don't even know the names of the languages, let alone the language itself, there are many online tools that help to provide documents and even live interpretation. So the burden of districts and administrators and teachers to help navigate that and communicate with parents is getting easier because of these online tools. Absolutely. And uh, I think what districts have to do personally is to go through their policies, their administrative rules, their student code of conduct, their disciplinary action plans, etc., and make sure that those are translated into the at least the major languages that show up in school districts. And Kristen, you know as well as I, that in our major urban areas, for instance, and even in many of our smaller and more remote school districts, they have many different language populations coexisting within their districts and and translating or getting translations of policies, rules, regulations, administrative procedures uh, into those various languages is a hugely important business that schools have to do to meet the requirements of the law. Once again, the requirements of the law are that these parents whose first language is not English, maybe something other than English, um, have to have the same access to information for decision-making as do English-dominant parents. And so that means school districts have some work to do. They have to think about the resources it may take in, in terms of staffing and dollars to make sure that these, um, this information is being translated into a language parents can understand. They have online tools. The fact is they have to use those tools. They have to seek out individuals and organizations like our own, the Equity Assistance Center, for helping direct them to where these resources actually are. One of the things that's important in terms of this new guidance is that it also has an appendix that has a lot of the resources that will help people to understand the kinds of things that they need to be doing, at least samples of things that they can use to begin to translate information into Spanish or into Hmong or into other languages that show up in our major school systems. Yes, that's very important, especially for schools that maybe have fallen behind in the things they provide translation for. And going back to districts themselves as they go through their policies, as you mentioned, Bradley, as they go through their policies and programs to look at where they can beef up the support for students. For instance, having programs that are research-based to not only help the students access the curriculum, but they need to improve their English skills. And there are multiple programs that are sound and research-based to use, but to make sure those programs are implemented well in the schools and that teachers that work with those students are knowledgeable, that they're certified, that they're trained in working with English learners, and that the principal, the director of the school, is really on board in making sure that those policies and procedures are followed. As a staff member that works on the ground, I go to many districts, both here in Texas and uh, particularly in, in Oklahoma and some of our other EAC states, and people are surprised, number one, to find out that this pertains to civil rights, and, and they're also surprised to find out that maybe their programs are not beefed up enough, that they really need to do things differently to meet the needs of kids. And 
as you said, the diversity is growing within our schools and some urban areas, for instance, some major urban areas, even in Oklahoma, have more than 80 languages represented in the home of their students. So this outreach to parents can be very informative. Teachers can find out how to help their students. They can also be informed, for instance, in these special education meetings so that we address some of the issues of over-identification. So parents really understand what is going on at the schools with their students, despite their cultural and language differences. And uh, being on the ground, Kristen, just highlight some of the concerns or challenges you are seeing that creates the gap between what the expectation of this guidance and the realities that learners and their families are going through. Well, I'll mention two gaps. At the elementary gap, the gap I see is that teachers, although they might know what are good instructional strategies for English language learners, they're very pressured to do certain curriculums to get students ready for reading and writing tests and mathematics tests. And so the time that is necessary to really build the language of the student as they're learning their reading skills, it it doesn't match up. So language development instruction is not integrated into the classroom well. At the secondary level, the gap is actually quite huge and many teachers really are not well trained on how they can adapt their curriculum and differentiate and meet the needs of different groups of students in their classroom while delivering the content that they need to deliver. You know, Kristen, I am of the opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this concern at the secondary level, ELs at the secondary level, it is more than a challenge. It is a huge concern about how prepared or unprepared uh, this population of students is uh, with regards to their academic achievement, their opportunities for graduation, their opportunities for college going, etc. It seems to be an area that we have just refused to pay attention to. And now, all of a sudden, it's catching up with us uh, in terms of um, high rates of dropout for this population of students, low rates of college going, etc. Am I wrong in that? No, you're you're right on point, Dr. Scott, because that's what happens. The schools, the teachers aren't prepared. We have large groups of newcomers coming in now, and that's a whole other issue programmatically to decide on. What we're losing is potential. These are students that have a lot of potential to give our communities and our nation. And if they drop out, if they don't reach their potential academically, we've lost that resource Mm -hmm. that can really be a big help. Absolutely. Because these Mm -hmm. students actually come in with experiences and with another language that given the access to learn English and learn the curriculum, the bilingual brain is shown to work differently and actually provide other ways of thinking, and we need creative ways of thinking as we move forward as a nation. We need these students to be part of our successful students. Right. So, Kristen, it also seems like this requires different kinds of conversations. I know our time is really running out, 
But we have to be creative in terms of how we not only reach and support these learners and their families as we are moving forward, but how we also prepare them for this brave new world that we are certainly a part of now and will become more a part of as we continue to move forward as a nation. It is a a resource that we have to know how to tap and learn how to tap in a different way than we have historically done, where we might have written them off or uh, shunted them aside in some kind of way. We have to think about how we tap this resource that you say that they are. What two or three things would you think would be important, for instance, at the secondary level, to make a better, stronger, more civil rights-driven connection to this population of students? Wow, that's a huge question. I know it's a big question. And, well, the first thing is, I think reviewing with enthusiasm, not with some reluctance, but reviewing at an upper administration level of districts, reviewing this outline for the guidance of protecting the civil rights of these students and helping them achieve is one of the first steps that could be done. Training teachers in a new way and developing their leadership. This is highly important that the leadership at the building level really be supportive of teachers doing things in creative ways to reach these students and giving them leadership in how to do that. So we have uh, you know, upper administration, building administration, and teacher level, getting everyone on board to embrace this growing diversity we have in our country. It's a wonderful diversity. Uh, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. resource that we have that we need to tap into. Right. And uh, certainly making different decisions about resource allocation will be probably a third leg that would need to be considered as well. Definitely. Programs mm-hmm. cannot be sustained on air. We need the funding to make it work. Absolutely. Kristen, so I knew I could ask a big question in the closing seconds of this uh, podcast because I knew you had the answers and I know that these are the things that you've been talking about and by the way, we'll be writing about even more as we uh, move forward. I want to thank you for the time you've spent talking about this issue and remind our listeners that uh, they can simply go online at www.ed.gov OCR guidance on ELs and see the entire document. Thank you for being with us. We thank you for the time you have spent looking at this issue with us. Take care of yourselves so that you can take care of your learners. We'll see you next time. And goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.